Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I Choose You edition, as my broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me for an in-depth look at all 10 Bengals draft picks, plus a few of the players they signed as undrafted free agents. Coming up, we will tell you if the Steelers robbed the Bengals of the player they really wanted in the first round when they traded up to the spot directly in front of Cincinnati in order to select linebacker Devin Bush. We will also have interesting intel on second round pick Drew Sample. Many draft gurus thought the Bengals could have selected him later in the draft, so just how high was he on the Bengals board? We'll have the answer. After some juicy inside info on all of the picks, we'll hear from one of them. Number one pick, Jonah Williams, who joins me for a Fun Facts conversation, where we discuss everything from the length of his arms to the bag of food he carried around in high school. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since... Wait for it, Jed. A little inside joke there. Brixel Sports Stadium Models. So, Brixels are kind of like Legos, and they sell very detailed models of sports stadiums and arenas. My son recently put together the Fenway Park model, and it is incredible. It has 3,206 pieces, so it was a labor of love. But the level of detail is outstanding, right down to the single red seat deep in the right field stands where Ted Williams hit the longest home run in Fenway Park history. There doesn't appear to be a Paul Brown Stadium model yet, but when it comes out, we are definitely buying. Now let's get to my draft discussion with the 61st overall pick in the 1974 NFL Draft, the most successful of the 22 selections the Bengals made that year, an offensive lineman out of Syracuse University, Dave Lapham. Lap, let's start with Jonah Williams, the Bengals' first-round draft pick, selected number 11 overall, the offensive tackle out of Alabama. The website Pro Football Focus had him as the fourth best player in this draft. It is our belief that the Bengals had him roughly at the same spot on their overall board. I agree with you, Dan, and uh, people are wondering, you know, if, if Devin Bush had been there, would they have gone with Jonah Williams? We believe yes, you know, and uh, I'm not saying that Devin Bush isn't a fantastic football player, but... Uh, the Steelers weren't sure that that's the way the Bengals were going to go, so they, you know, expended a couple of draft picks and moved up ahead of the Bengals to take Devin Bush, and the Bengals went with Jonah Williams, and they were thrilled that he was there. And I can't remember the last draft where no offensive linemen, no running backs, no wide receivers, no corners, no safeties, five position groups did not get selected in the first, in the first ten picks of, of the draft. So when you have a need at the offensive line position and literally the best lineman is right there no brainer I mean I, I think the Bengals probably may have set a they may have broken John Ross's 40 yard dash time running to the podium <laughs> to make the pick checks all the boxes played in the SEC dominated at left tackle his last two years at Alabama really smart kid earned his degree at Alabama in three years this to me is just a first round draft pick that 
I don't know if he'll be an all-pro. You'd like him to be. Uh, but I can't envision a scenario where he flops. I agree. You know, and I think this is the beginning of a trend. Smart, not only uh, book smart, but football IQ, um, position versatility, leadership. You know, he's a captain. And it, it's very instinctive. You'll, that's going to be a common denominator. with line. People say, okay, instinctive lineman, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times you're going to try to, by your film study, see keys uh, with, with twists and stunts and everything, and, and you'll be able to react that much quicker on an instinctive basis because of preparation. And this kid leaves nothing to chance in that regard. He's the first guy I ever heard of that came up with a, a, a spreadsheet off of a film study. He had some kind of numbers numbering system where he had a spreadsheet to help uh, find characteristics and, and traits and, and keys and all that sort of thing in his opponent that uh, is, is remarkable. I mean, this, this guy is legit. He's the real deal. He can play any one of the five positions in the offensive line, and football is not just important to him. I think it's the number one thing in his life. His girlfriend may have a problem with that, but, I mean, this guy, this guy is all football all the time, no question about it. Do you see him being a day one starter? I do. I'm not sure where. Uh, it won't be center, I don't think. But I, he could start at either one of the guards or either one of the tackle positions based on what I've seen on tape. The thing about him, Dan, his feet are unbelievable. And we've said many times, every athletic endeavor, including blocking, but throwing a baseball, catching a baseball, shooting a basketball, whatever it may be, catching a football, it starts with your feet and ends with your hands. It's the same thing in football. In, in line play, linebackers, starts with your feet to get in place, hand placement to be able to separate and finish, H feet and hands. And this guy's got excellent uh, uh, start with his feet and finish with his hands. He is very, very good with his technique. He's been coached well, and he retains it, and he takes it to the football field big time. All right, you mentioned it, but I just want to follow up in more detail. The Steelers moved up from number 20 to number 10 to jump directly ahead of the Bengals in order to select Devin Bush. So clearly their thought was the Bengals are either going to take him or they might take him. We can't afford to wait. And the Bengals, in our opinion, almost certainly would have taken Jonah Williams. I think so because, you know, Devin White, the number one linebacker, was gone. Although, honestly, I like Bush better than White. I really do. I think the Steelers got a hell of a player. I would not have been upset if they took Devin Bush. But I am, you know, old school, get, old school get off my lawn. It's a big man's game. You have the best big man on the offensive side of the football up front. You got to go there. You got to go there. Even if, you know, the, the 1A or 1B or whatever it is at linebacker is there. Um, I, I would agree with the, with the Bengals' thought process and, you know, the, with the uncertainty involved. Pittsburgh burned a couple of draft picks moving up. The Bengals prioritize offensive tackle more than linebacker, and that's probably true of most teams in the NFL. The Bengals have not taken a line. Well, let me backtrack. The Bengals have taken one linebacker before the third round in the last 11 drafts, and that was Ray Malaluga, who's now out of the NFL, so they just historically have not invested high draft capital in that position. Right. And, you know, the, the other uh, linebacker that comes to mind, Keith Rivers, you know, they took in the first round out of USC as well, you know, uh, years before that. It's not, it's not a regular, regular occurrence. And uh, there, there's no doubt in my mind that, that Jim Turner um, wanted to get more physical, wanted to be bigger, wanted to be more athletic, wanted to be more physical up front. And, and this was the first step in that direction for sure. 
On to the second round and the pick that a lot of Bengals fans were scratching their heads over, Drew Sample, the tight end out of Washington. Selected with the 52nd overall pick, the Bengals actually moved back in the second round. They got an extra fourth and an extra sixth in order to move back 10 spots. Everybody's saying you could have gotten this guy later. The Bengals actually would have taken him earlier. They had a high first-round grade on him. Second round. Ah, excuse me, yeah. second-round grade. Uh, 2A, high second-round grade on him. So the thing about him is the draft gurus and then as a result the fan base – he wasn't thought about because his numbers weren't there in terms of uh, catches and yards. But the thing about it, the balls that he did catch, he didn't drop any. The, the scouts were saying may have not had a drop or maybe one. So that tells you a lot. When his opportunity was there, he capitalized on every single one of them. Jonah Williams, smartest offensive lineman in the draft. Drew Sample, smartest tight end in the draft. He's got a degree. He's married. He's expecting a baby girl at the end of the, toward the end of the football season. This guy is a, is a solid individual as well as extremely talented football player. He is the best blocking tight end in the draft, and I mean by a wide margin. 6'4", 255 pounds, looks like he's about 235, 240 maybe. And again, just like Jonah Williams, talking about feet and hands, Drew Sample is, is that exact same thing at the tight end position. These guys have been coached well. Uh, they've taken to the technique, and they're applying it to the football field. And all of a sudden, when you get a, an offensive tackle and a tight end that can dominate at the line of scrimmage, you can set the edge. You hear all the time defensive coaches, look, got to set the edge. We can't let them get the edge on us. Well, when you have a, a tackle and a tight end like this, you have to set the edge offensively. And they'll be setting the edge a lot more readily with big physical guys like this. And... Um, you know, Drew Sample, the coach, has said when, when the interviews that they do with them off the charts. Maybe, you know, Andrew Whitworth may have been the only interview that might have been better than Drew Sample's interview that they, that they had as an organization. So that tells you a lot. I mean, again, um, all the intangibles, checking all the boxes with these two guys. Both of these guys, Dan, may not only be starters, they may be 10 to 12-year starters. I mean, they may have hit two players that are going to be a decade plus of giving them consistent, excellent performances, uh, and they care about the game of football. There's no doubt about that. We did a podcast a few weeks ago about the Bengals' draft needs, and one of the top ones, in our opinion, was the tight end position. Then when this pick was made, I heard a lot of folks saying, oh, the Bengals need a wide receiver more than they need a tight end. What? Really? C.J. Uzama is a fine NFL player, but probably is never going to go to a Pro Bowl. Tyler Eifert is a Pro Bowl player, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Their other tight ends were all beat up last year. They lost Tyler Croft to free agency. This was a huge area of need. Particularly from the blocking standpoint. Tyler Eifert, unquestioned <laughs> as a receiver. I mean, he's, uh, he, he makes defenses flinch. Every snap he took last year, the defenses were in, in nickel, in sub-packages. No base defense. They can't match up with them. But, you know, he, he does a good job blocking in the running game and pass protection and all those th sort of things. C.J. Uzama, another one that does a good job, but, you know, he got hurt as well in, in, the, in those roles. Those guys aren't necessarily known, oh, my gosh, they're going to dominate you at the end of the line at the line of scrimmage. So why not get a guy that can do that? His – his strengths complement those other guys' strengths perfectly. You don't want three guys that do the same thing well and can't do the other. 
and, and, and it's not to say that Drew Sample can't run routes and catch the football. We said he maybe had one drop, might be one through the season or his career without any. So, I mean, he's, he's capable, but you need to have somebody that uh, is going to be the anchor, again, at the end of the line of scrimmage, setting the edge, helping in pass protection. You know, you hear all the time, oh, they're going to have to keep a tight end in to help slow block, you know, against these pass rushers. This guy's as good as there is. I mean, he, he's, he's the best blocking tight end, run blocking, pass protecting. You can put him at fullback. Now you don't have to have Sam Hubbard coming over from defense necessarily like Ryan Hewitt did, line up at fullback and lead it up in there. This kid can do the same thing. Uh, another thing that we're going to find, and we've seen the first two picks, and it's going to be a universal theme, position versatility. Jonah Williams can play all five line spots. Drew Sample can play tight end at the end of the line of scrimmage, can play fullback, can be a wingback, can be a slot back. I mean, you know, it's, it's endless. So position versatility, leadership, all these things. Uh, they had a plan going into this draft and hit it on almost all of the draft picks, none more than these first two picks of the draft. Before moving to third-round pick Jermaine Pratt, we should mention the Bengals did try to trade up right. in the second round because there were really good offensive linemen on the board that they thought had first-round grades. Right on. Cody Ford was there. Taylor was there out of Florida. Um, and, and Greg Little actually w- was, was on the board as well. And all three of those linemen teams traded up for to get an opportunity to, to, to pick them. So when they redid their board after day one, first round, redo your board for day two, ooh, these two offensive linemen slid. They're, they're, they're more than capable. Let's, let's go target these guys. Couldn't quite get it done. Uh, people wanted more than they were offering. It was a little too rich. And then you think, okay, well, if you stay there, what kind of players are there? Yasin, Greedy Williams. Well, you got B.W. Webb in free agency. You got Darquez Denard in free agency. Don't have a real need. Maybe reaching a little bit for corners. Whiteside, wide receiver. Hmm, you know, maybe that might be a little rich. I would think Pratt was a guy they might have been thinking about there at the end of the second round. They they end up getting him in the third. But when Sample was there, they traded down and still got their guy Sample. So all when they couldn't trade up for those two linemen. The two corners may be too, a little too rich. They had guys in free agency. They moved down. They got themselves an extra fourth-round pick that turned out to be big as the draft went on. So Jermaine Pratt was their third-round selection, number 72 overall, linebacker out of NC State. Led the ACC in tackles per game last year at nine and a half. He was a safety his first two college seasons. He's 50 pounds heavier now than he was when he started out in college football. He's up to 240 pounds on a 6'2 frame. Another guy who's going to potentially compete for a starting job in year one. They think he may be the best linebacker from day one when he comes into camp. I mean, it could be that way. Now, I think there are going to be some veteran players that have something to say about that. But there were some comparisons drawn by the Bengals scouting department to uh, Darius Leonard, the, the all-pro, not just pro bowler, all-pro as a rookie with the Colts. This guy is a very, very sure tackler. The thing I didn't like about Devin White, uh, Dan, is he wasn't instinctive. He had a little bit of a hitch, a little delay in making his reads, and he missed a lot of tackles. It might have been as a result of not making quick decisions right off the bat. This guy, Pratt, instinctive. You know, sees it before it happens, is moving in that direction, goes sideline to sideline, and gets people on the ground. So, I mean, you're right. You look at him. When you see Devin Bush walk around, you think, man, he looks like a you know, good-sized safety. When you see Jermaine Pratt walking around, it's like, this is a linebacker. Broad shoulders, thick arms. I mean, um, I think, too, 
with, with Devin White and Devin Bush, they played linebacker their whole lives, high school, college, in the NFL now. So their ceiling is, you know, they know teams have a lot better feel about where they're going to be. They're closer to their ceiling than they are their floor. Let's put it that way. In Jermaine Pratt's case, only two years as a linebacker, he's got a lot more room to travel up to that ceiling. And coaches like to get guys in that situation so they can develop them, get them on the rise, as the coaches call it, get them on the come as they come out of college, you know, and, and get ready for the National Football League and, and be instrumental in, them, in their development. This guy has all the physical tools, and his, uh, his teammate in college and his future teammate here with the Bengals, Ryan Finley, said, hey, man, this guy studies more tape more than anybody I know, and he'd call our plays out at practice by formation before we even ran them. You know, he's kind of a thorn in his side, so, you know, he's glad that he's still on his team instead of having to play against him. I mean, Ryan Finley has a high, high regard for Jermaine Pratt, and Jermaine Pratt has a high, high regard for Ryan Finley. Pratt couldn't believe that Finley hadn't been drafted, and we were eating lunch with him in the cafeteria. He was talking about it, and shortly thereafter, boom, mm -hmm. there's the next pick is made. So Pratt was the Bengals' third-round pick, and then the draft ends at the end of the third round. You get a break, and then the fourth round begins on Saturday. So teams, again, have the opportunity to reorganize their board going into rounds four, five, and six. The number one person on the Bengals' board of all the remaining players was Ryan Finley, the quarterback out of NC State. They decided to move up to make sure that they got him, so they made a trade with the 49ers, moving up six spots to have the second pick in the fourth round. They gave up two of their six sixth-round draft picks at that point in order to do it, and they get Ryan Finley, 24 years old. He spent three years at Boise State, three years at NC State, started for those three years at NC State, considered to be the most accurate throwing quarterback in the draft. The arm strength is not exceptional, so that was the knock. I guess that's why Ryan Finley was still there. Jay Morrison of The Athletic wrote a very interesting story where he cited Bill Parcells' seven criteria used when drafting a quarterback. I was not familiar with this list, but they are, one, starts 30 or more games. Two, wins 23 or more games. Three, has a two-to-one ratio of touchdown to interceptions. Four, completes at least 60% of his passes. Five, is a three-year starter. Six, senior in college. Seven, graduate from college. Guys in the NFL right now that have checked all of those boxes include Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, Eli Manning, Andrew Luck, Andy Dalton, for what it's worth, and Ryan Finley, who checked all those boxes. 24 years old, going to turn 25, six-year collegiate career, has his master's degree. So he took advantage of his collegiate opportunity academically as well as athletically. Probably could gain 10 more pounds. Has been compared to Jared Goff, you know, kind of long, linear um, arm strength probably not obviously as good as Goff, but he was, the like you said, the best on the board in the Bengals' opinion in round four. Trade up for him. There's no doubt about it. Um, highest one to look score uh, for quarterbacks, so intelligent. Football IQ as well. The Bengals, I thought, Dan, rounds two, three, and four were the sweet spot of the draft. When they, were, when they couldn't trade up for the offensive lineman in round two, they were traded back, and they were trying to get a third-round pick, another third-round the next best thing is to get that fourth round. Well, they did, and then they ended up getting another fourth rounder, as it turns out. But three fourth-round picks. They got three of the top 23 guys they had rated in the fourth round. Three of the top 23 and by moving themselves around. Duke Tobin did a great job of manipulating the board, 
and utilizing those six six rounders, you know, ended up getting rid of three of them on these trades. So it's actually four of the twenty three. Yeah, four, four of the, the top twenty three. Yeah, four of the top twenty three guys um, got in the uh, in, in in the in, well, I guess Pratt. They only had three fourth rounders, right? But the, so originally they had the twenty third pick in right. the fourth round right. among their. Picks. Right. So they had ordered 23 right. people at the end of day two, and they wound up getting four, four of those 23. Group, right, four of those four of that group, um, and, and three three of the fourth round picks are, are are consummated. Ryan Finley being number one. I mean, that's you have to have a backup quarterback. Period. I mean, Andy Dalton. We've been spoiled by his durability. Uh, you know, and when he hasn't played, it's been you know AJ McCarron did, did a very very good job. But if, if Andy Dalton had finished that season, they start out 8-0. He's playing an MVP caliber. There's no telling. That was the team that might have made a playoff run. There's no telling. And last year, look at how they start the season with Andy Dalton just, you know, masterminding everything at the quarterback position. They're averaging 31 points a game. And, you know, uh, Tyler Eifert goes down. A.J. goes down. Ultimately, Andy goes down. But Andy Dalton can play when he's afforded opportunity, that being time, to make his decisions and then players to, to distribute the football to. And this kid can do the same type of thing. He's got that kind of football IQ, that kind of football intelligence. So very, very good pick in the fourth round. All right. Their next fourth round pick was that 23rd pick in the round that, ref- that we referred to earlier. It originally belonged to Houston. They traded it to Denver. Denver traded it to Cincinnati when the Bengals moved back in the second round. And the Bengals used it on Arizona State defensive tackle Rennell Wren. They have jokingly referred to him as Mount Wren. It gives them size inside. So this is not a Geno Atkins who lasted until the fourth round because he was smaller than ideal. This guy's big, 6'4", 318 pounds, 81-inch wingspan, of all the Bengals draft picks, he might be the one with the best value considering where they had him on their board and where they wound up getting him. I agree with you. And at Arizona State, he was uh, his, his last year was with Herm Edwards, who's you know NFL guy, played in the NFL, coached in the NFL. So I'm sure he's getting his college players ready for NFL uh, action and activity. The only knock on Wren, Mount Wren, is the inconsistent motor. He is dominant. He when, when so moved, uh, we saw a video of the Senior Bowl. My gosh, man, he pushes the pocket. He was he was brutalizing people. And those are all draft picks. Yeah, one Bradbury, first round pick, number eighteen pick, I think, in the draft. The Minnesota Vikings at center. He's treating him like it's his little brother, throwing him around like a rag doll, and um, you know, and, and he'll 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 be physical and, and and mash him back, push the pocket, and then he'll decide to take an edge and do a swim move, and they won't lay a finger on him. So he's got movement. He's got athletic ability. He's got those long arms. You know, Gino obviously has short arms but can bench press the world. And Ryan Glasgow, a lot of these other guys, Billings, they don't have the, the long appendages, the long arms. This guy gives you a different look inside. And I can tell you as a former player inside, man, when you, when you lock your arms out and they lock their arms out and it's pretty equal, it's, it, you can block them. But when you're both, you know, you got your arms locked out and his aren't fully extended, then he extends and he's reaching to the back of your shoulder pad with his hand, all of a sudden that's a tougher dynamic. So I can understand why they did what they did there. Um, this kid has got, like, the ceiling is, has, is the sky's the ceiling, really. It's unlimited. Uh, he's been compared to Chris Jones 
who is a very, very formidable, long, rangy, athletic inside defensive lineman that, that causes havoc in there. If he's even close to Chris Jones, it'll be a hallelujah. One of the reasons why he might have lasted until the fourth round was the way he was used at Arizona State. He kind of played laterally out there to stop the run. He wasn't looking to get quick penetration, and that might be his best skill. You're right. I mean, at Arizona State, a couple of steps, then stop. You know, don't blow up the field. Don't, don't penetrate and disrupt. Plus, you know, when he was on the phone for the conference call, again, in the theme of uh, position versatility, um, Jonah Williams can play in one of five spots. Drew Sample can give you multiple, you know, tight end, H-back, wing-back, all those sort of things. Pratt can play Mike, Sam, or Will, plus sub-package linebacker. Finley, of course, is going to play quarterback. Wren, nose guard. He played one technique, inside shoulder of the guard. Three technique, like Geno Atkins, outside shoulder of the guard. They even kicked him out to defensive end in the All-Star games. So he's got position versatility, but I agree with you. Not only the position versatility, but the, the, the scheme uh, mentality and philosophy. Is it, is it you know, just to two-gap and take guys on and stop the run, or is it to penetrate, disrupt, and, and cause havoc in the backfield? He's capable of doing both, so he's got that type of versatility as well. I, I'm just excited to see what they're going to be able to get out of him. I, I hope they get their full potential out of him because it's going to be big if they do. Historically, the Bengals have not traded up in the draft very often. They did it twice in the fourth round this year. We mentioned the, the deal that they made to get Ryan Finley with a second pick in the fourth round. Later, they obtained a late third-round pick from the Cowboys in exchange for their fifth-round pick and one of those sixth-round picks, and they used it to get Ohio State interior offensive lineman Michael Jordan, another big man, 6'5", 310 pounds, 32-inch vertical, so he's got some explosiveness. The Bengals had a third-round grade on him, and they wound up getting him late in the fourth. He's got Cincinnati ties. He was born in Fairfield. His family moved to Michigan, so that's where he played high school football, but... Loved the Bengals as a kid, wanted to play for Ohio State, and now he's coming to Cincinnati. And I think, I think this pick is one of my favorites for value. I think he's – Billy Price uh, went to Coach Turner and said, draft him. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's what you're looking for. Another high-character guy, another guy that has position versatility, either guard or center. With his long arms, you could kick him out to tackle if you needed to to finish a game or to play a few games if you got, you know, serious injury concerns. When you think about it, I mean, the competitive nature of the offensive line, just from the draft alone, Jonah Williams and now Michael Jordan, I mean, the best five are going to play. And, and they're both, they both played in big-time football. Michael Jordan started as a true freshman, one of, like, what, three or four guys to do it in Ohio State history, I think it is. It's crazy. He's, he's a, a very, very – I think he's a guard. I thought at center he rolled a few snaps back. He may have had some problems there. But the fact is that they put him into center, um, you know, and that, that's a little tradition at Ohio State. It, ha it started with Elfline. He gets drafted by the Vikings in the third round. Billy Price goes in from guard to center. Billy Price gets drafted in the first round by the Bengals, and now Michael Jordan goes in to center. And he gets drafted in the fourth round. So it's been that little chain of, of command as such, moving in from guard to center. And they only do it with guys that they trust can make all the calls, understand the fronts, know what the protections are. So Michael Jordan's got a lot going for him. Another smart football player. Football's important to him. Position versatility. Again, common denominator. These themes were woven through the entire draft process by the Bengals. So the Bengals traded away their fifth-round pick in that deal. 
meaning their next pick came in the sixth round. They still had three picks left in the sixth. The first one was number nine in the round. They got that from the Broncos back in that day one trade involving their second round pick, uh, the tight end from Washington. So they used this one on a running back, another position of need after letting Mark Walton go in the offseason. They picked up Travion Williams from Texas A&M, rushed for 1,760 yards last year, scored 18 touchdowns, second-team All-American, had five 200-yard games in his college career. Why was he still there in the sixth round? Because he's 5'8". Right. He's 5'8", but he's 206 pounds. He's a little load, man. He's put together. He's just a short put together. If he were 5'10", he'd be 220. If he were six feet, he'd be maybe 230. Again, let's go back to Jim Turner, offensive line coach, Texas A&M. He knows all about Travion Williams. He was in the huddle with him every day at practice on the football field with him. You know, he knows everything there is to know, any injury history, anything about his character, anything. And again, it's time to talk about the 10 college uh, coaches that are of the 21 coaches on this Bengal staff. It's unbelievable the amount of intel they gave uh, the organization leading up to the draft and on draft day. And it's the only year it's going to happen, the only year they're going to come out of college and be, and be coaching in the NFL. Jonah Williams, Jim Turner saw him take apart Texas A&M. He, he, saw, he saw it firsthand. I mean, he, he knows what that's all about. Travion Williams, he didn't coach against him. He coached he, – he didn't coach him his position group, but he was on the same side of the football in every huddle with him, every single practice, knows all there is to know about him. And then the next pick, Deshaun Davis that we're going to talk about, Auburn, SEC, he game-planned against him. He knows what he was like to try to handle as a linebacker. That's unbelievable intel. You know, and, and not just him. They had coaches on their staff from Mississippi State when you're evaluating edge rushers. Michigan, when you're evaluating edge rushers, linebackers. That kind of thing was unbelievable for the Cincinnati Bengals to have in this draft. And I think the draft proves it because they came out with the common theme all the way through. The, they put their bat on the ball with the type of guy they were looking for as a football player, first and foremost, and as a person uh, next on every single occasion. And I think Travion Williams is going to be it's, it, unbelievable. It's going to be very, very competitive. You know, uh, Walton makes a couple of mistakes. Three actually gets arrested three times in three months. No longer a Bengal. Uh, there's a roster spot there. Travion Williams is going to fight like heck to get his, an opportunity to prove that he belongs in the National Football League. Prior to last season, the Bengals lost Andre Smith, Chris Smith, and AJ McCarron as free agents. The compensatory formula gave the Bengals three extra sixth-round draft picks. They kept two of them, 38th and 39th in the sixth round. The first one was used on a linebacker out of Auburn, Deshaun Davis. 5'11", 234 pounds, runs a 4'7", 40. He was a team captain. He's a physical run defender, instinctive, hard-hitting. One of the Bengals scouts said he's like a Steelers inside linebacker that you hate to play twice a year. No question. He's got a chip on his shoulder because he feels like he should have been drafted higher. The Bengals had a higher grade on him than 210 in the draft. Um, flies around the football field. When watched the little tape that the scouts presented about him. He's one of those guys that, uh, like you said, instinctive meaning, sees it before it happens. His first step is always in the right direction with no wasted motion. Guys like that, you can't, uh, you know, you can't put a value on. Dan, not only could he get involved in the linebacker uh, room with snaps on the defensive side of it, Darren Simmons is smiling. You know, he's got guys like Deshaun Davis, 
He's got, he, he's got guys like uh, Pratt, Sample. These guys are all going to be special teams possibilities for him. It, it's all in the equation. Not only will they be competing for starting jobs, and some of them probably will have starting jobs of, the, of these groups, they, they drafted potential starters, not just guys to make the roster you know, or to make the 53 and then maybe be active on game day and not on the deactive list. These guys are going to be worst-case scenario, special team snaps, sub-package snaps, you know, uh, by, by formations and personnel groupings, going to have some opportunity to play. And Deshaun Davis is right up that alley. The Bengals had the very next pick as well, number 211 overall. And I like this pick because when you've got extra six-rounders, you can use one to take a flyer on a guy that maybe has an injury history but a high upside. And this is the guy that fits that description in this year's class, Oklahoma running back Rodney Anderson. Big fast, six feet tall, 224 pounds. The one healthy year he had at Oklahoma, he ran for 1,100 yards, including 201 in the Rose Bowl against a great Georgia defense. The only knock on the guy is that he missed basically two full seasons at Oklahoma due to injuries. And that year you're talking about when he had the great bowl game, the final seven weeks of the season, he led the FBS in yards from scrimmage. So again, position versatility, running back, can put him in the slot as a receiver. I mean, the Oklahoma coaches were so excited about getting him in formational mismatches, trying to, you know, get him isolated in the slot with a safety. Or if they're in base defense, walking a linebacker out on him. It's like, are you kidding me? That's like stealing candy from a baby. I mean, they thought that he was going to be the guy. And, then, you know, then he gets hurt. Joe Mixon gets opportunities. This guy is a high-character guy. Even when he was hurt, teammates would say he was the, still the leader of the football team. He was engaged. You know, it, was, it wasn't about him. Instead of putting his dauber down, his chin on his chest, and feeling sorry for himself, he's still part of the team and, and doing everything he can to contribute. You know, you just hope. I mean, he's kind of like the Tyler Eifert story in college football. Will the football gods give them thou shalt have a year without injury? I mean, you got to hope that both Rodney Anderson and Tyler Eifert take every snap this season they possibly can without being hurt. The Bengals' 10th and final pick in the 7th round cornerback, Jordan Brown. From the FCS level, South Dakota State, the measurables are fantastic. Six feet tall, ran a 4-4-8, 40, had eight interceptions in his college career. So he's fast, he was productive, he just played at a smaller school level. True, and he, and he played wide receiver prior to playing in the secondary. So he understood routes, he understood route concepts, he understood why, um, where leverage was defensively. It, it's always guys that you know, tr transfer from like quarterback to receiver. Okay, well that works because they understand a quarterback, they can read cut routes and I mean read uh, secondary coverages and get tips. Guys that go from wide receiver to defensive back understand in a different level because they ran the routes. They understand uh, why routes are run and why the progression is like it is. So he's, he's smart and he's, uh, he's got good ball skills, haven't played the receiver position, eight interceptions you know, show that. And he'll, he'll come and compete. There's another guy that gives you some great special team snaps, you know, if he makes the roster. So Darren Simmons, uh, you know, is, is going to look at that and say, hey, even though he's the seventh-round pick, if he makes the team, he'll have quite a few snaps. He could be on all the coverage teams, could be all all the return teams. That's going to give you quite a few snaps, uh, you know, right there before you even start. 
All right, last thing. The Bengals are also going to sign 11 undrafted free agents. We are not going to run down the entire list, but since they didn't draft any wide receivers, let's talk about three wide receivers that they are bringing in as uh, undrafted free agents. Charles Holland from Tiffin, Stanley Morgan from Nebraska, Damian Willis uh, also coming in. And of those three, Morgan and Willis probably will have the best shot at making this team right because when you look at it I mean Zach Taylor played quarterback at Nebraska where did Stanley Morgan go to school Nebraska Zach Taylor knows the Nebraska coaches and the wide receiver coach I think might have been named offensive coordinator at any rate uh, highly recommended Stanley Morgan six feet over a couple hundred pounds four or five can play inside in the slot can play outside obviously a very strong football player and Damian Willis out of Troy he's six three a little bit longer turning four pounds, four fives, though. So th those are the two guys that will probably uh, get the opportunity to compete at the wide receiver position. And another guy that's interesting, uh, Jim Turner says to one of his guys that was uh, played for him at Texas A&M, hey, Keaton Sutherland, come on up. Come on, my man, 6'5", 322, runs a 5'1", can play tackle or guard. Why don't you come up here? Maybe you can make our practice squad worst case scenario, and I'll develop you and, and see if you get picked up by somebody else from the practice squad to go to their, their roster. I'll reward you. You rewarded me for all your efforts at Texas A&M. Here you go. Come on to this training camp and c come enjoy the NFL with me, my man. I am especially intrigued by Stanley Morgan, number one all-time in receiving yards at Nebraska. We know they've had some great ones, although yeah. they pretty much only ran the ball for a long time right. there, but had a catch in 38 consecutive games. 38 and a half inch vertical. Um, he had hip surgery in November of 2017, so that may, might be one of the reasons why he uh, wound up going undrafted. Yeah, I agree, Dan. And the other thing that intrigues me a little bit, the only other guy they brought in for a visit, a quarterback, Jake Dolgala, uh, out of Central Connecticut, 6'6 six, six and a half, 240 pounder. So that's a guy that, you know, you got to just his physical presence, see what he can do, and maybe, you know, practice squad guy or, you know, develop him a little bit. And uh, the, two, the, the only two quarterbacks that they brought in to, to visit, they liked enough, and they showed enough on the grease board and football acumen and IQ that uh, one they drafted in the fourth round and traded up to do so, and the other one they signed as a free agent. All right. That concludes this wrap-up of the 2019 Bengals draft class. We get to uh, see them practice in a couple of weeks. That'll be fun. Can't wait, Dan. It's like... You know, you're a little kid, you get your Christmas presents and you open them and see, un unwrap them and see if they work. Just like coaches, you know, Christmas presents, get all these draft picks and free agents, then you get them out in the field and see if they work. So it's fun to watch the whole process, and I always enjoy it, you know, seeing free agency, the draft, college free agents, and then put the team together and watch the whole process. And it's very interesting, and it starts up here pretty quick, my man. I'm looking forward to working with, it, working with you about it. Me too. The Bengals' two-day rookie minicamp is coming up in a little less than two weeks, Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Now time for this week's Fun Facts interview where we get to know the person under the pads. In this case, an offensive lineman out of Alabama who blocked on 466 passing plays last year without allowing a single sack. Time for some fun facts for the Bengals' number one draft pick in 2019, Jonah Williams. Jonah, you were a three-year starter and an All-American at Alabama. You earned your degree in three years. You're obviously an excellent student. Inquiring minds want to know, what are you lousy at? Um, 
doing fun facts. <laughs> uh, I, I can't dance or sing. I can't do that. Um, so I would say those two. All right. Do you have any talents that are not widely known? Uh, I can I, I can cook. I can grill. I can I can do all that. Um, but I think linemen have a propensity to do that, probably more so <laughs> than any other position. Do you have a go-to dish? Uh, steak. It's 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 just easy. You Hard to mess up. Anyone? Well, if you overcook it, you know. If you're one of those people, I don't know if we can get along. I'm not one of those people. It's got to be a little bloody. What did or do your folks do for a living? Uh, my dad's environmental consulting, mm-hmm. uh, water management, agriculture, things like that. Um, my mom stays at home with my little brother. He's 11. You grew up in Atlanta before moving to Northern California in high school. Who were some of your heroes growing up? Personally, like, you know, I always looked up to my parents. I think that they, they taught me a lot and have, you know, led me in the right direction. Uh, when I started playing offensive line, um, I was looking for a guy in the in, in the league to look for, and actually, you know, uh, a rival of the Bengals, uh, Joe Thomas, is a guy that I look up to as far as modeling my game after. He was pretty good. We're doing fun facts with Jonah Williams. You did a telephone conference call with Cincinnati reporters after the draft and told us that you built a weight room in the basement of your family home as a kid. I put Legos together. You built a weight room. Tell me a little bit about the weight room. I always would walk to my school um, and work out in their weight room, but uh, it was usually locked at certain points, like in the summer over Christmas break or whenever the school wasn't in session and I didn't really have anywhere else to lift. So got a bunch of two-by-fours, some, some metal piping, and, and built, like, you know, a rack with, a, with, a, with like, little uh, metal bars to put the, put the squat on and, and for the bench. And got a bench that we already had and got some weights and a barbell off Craigslist and just kind of threw it together. I put a – but I, I just have fond memories there. I put up flags of the schools I wanted to play for, and mm. I put up, uh, you know, different posters that said what percentage of people make it to play D1 and what percentage of those people make it to the NFL just so I knew how hard I'd have to work to, to be in that group. As I mentioned, you moved to Northern California for your dad's job, and you wound up playing at Folsom High School near Sacramento – one of the most dominant high school teams in the state of California's history. 16-0, I think this was your junior year. Every game went to a running clock in the fourth quarter because you were crushing teams. Why was that team so good? It was a combination of, of, of talent and work. You know, we, we had a bunch of talented guys, Cincinnati's very own. Um, Josiah DeGuara was our tight end. We had Jake Browning at quarterback. Uh, Cody Creason and I were the anchors on that on that O line. Sam Whitney at Boise State was our center and DN. We had, I mean, I think we had ten or eleven guys who uh, who went D one. Um, great coaches, Coach Taylor and Richardson do a great job, and have continued to do that even after we left, which makes it feel a little less special. But <laughs> um, but but we were exceptional in, in in that and the work ethic. One thing I always remember is just we we would literally run practices without without the coaches there. Mm-hmm. We go up and down the field running plays just because we wanted to, because we wanted to beat people that bad. And um, I think that that made it special. We're talking to Jonah Williams. You can go online and see footage from your senior year of high school, and it looks like the movie The Blind Side because you are blocking people right off the screen. You are tossing people around. It's kind of comical, actually. Did you ever feel sorry for any of those kids? Not really, honestly, because <laughs> I, I knew where my goals were at. And to me, I felt like I had to do that to them to prove that I could 
continue to play at a high level at the next level just knowing I mean going from high school to college is a huge gap I think going from college to NFL is another gap in terms of talent um, and ability and the types of people you're going against so I, I, I felt like they were kind of casualties on my on my way to college <laughs> all right you mentioned Josiah DeGuara now the tight end at the University of Cincinnati and your former high school teammate I called him up and asked him for his best Jonah Williams story that he could share at least. <laughs> and here's what he said. He said, in high school, you were looking to put on weight. So you used to carry a bag of food around during the day in school and just like reach in there throughout the day to get yep. a sandwich or whatever. What was in the bag and, and how did you go about doing that? Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I, I was trying to gain weight. I got an offer to play offensive line. I was like 240, so I had to gain 60 pounds. And so I, I just packed a bag, and my whole backpack, I'd have, like, you know, one binder in there, and then the rest would just be stuffed with food. Um, I remember I, I made peanut butter bagels, which were always tough to get through because how, you know, dry they were. Um, I, I'd bring pita chips, the, those pita chips in, uh, Stacy's pita chips or whatever, and those were always a hit because everyone <laughs> wanted them because they're so good, you know. So I, I try not to share too many of those. I'd bring an apple, you know, to make it feel healthier. Uh, protein bar pretty much mostly non-perishables um i'd get a lunch at school i'd get from like the cafeteria um and then oh pb and j that was important and a banana probably other things jonah's bag of food that could be a thing you yeah know, you could you could sell that someday yeah. so you're one of the top recruits in the country you went on your visit to alabama and instead of trying to impress you with a fancy player's lounge, they apparently took you into the offensive line room and gave you the clicker so that you could watch tape for half an hour. Is that really what did it? That Well, yeah, that's what that's what set it apart. I, I met with Coach Cristobal, the O-line coach at the time, and my recruiter, and we, we were watching tape, and he he was asking me the terminology we used in, a, in high school, and then he was flipping it um, from their terminology to mine. So he'd show a play and describe it in my terms, and I'd be able to talk about everything because I was just like, you know, able to translate it. So that was the first thing. And then before we left, uh, I was talking to Coach Lapoy, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to come?" Because it was my official visit with the Tennessee game, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to do you want to come watch you know the tape from that game?" And I was like, "Absolutely!" I just watched it in person. I want to watch the tape, and so I sat there for a while, just going through it, watching it, and um, just seeing seeing that and seeing you know all the workings that organization made me want to join. You left high school early. January of your senior year of high school, you went off to Alabama to try to get a head start. How tough was that? I mean, it was, a, it was a decision I knew I wanted to do. I wanted to come in and start as a freshman at Alabama. It was a big goal for me. Um, I knew it wouldn't be easy. There's so many great players there, and they don't just play anyone, you know. And I, I knew I'd give myself the best shot by coming in early and getting an extra – five months under my belt before other people do and get an extra 15 practices you know over the course of the spring and get acquainted with the coaches know the system backwards and forwards things like that um so it wasn't a hard decision for me to make you know it was weird missing uh missing all the you know second half of my senior year of high school I, I remember uh some of the guys on the team making fun of me saying like you going to prom, you gonna go to prom? <laughs> i was just like nope <laughs> we've got a scrimmage on the day of prom i'm not going back to california you know so it, it was definitely a commitment but an easy sacrifice for me to make did you get a welcome to the sec moment when you show up at alabama when you're really a senior in high school i definitely did yeah um 
was I did come in early, and I came in a week before the national championship game at the time. So they put me on scout team going against that 2015 defense. Oh and uh, and then they pumped in crowd noise. And when they pump in crowd noise, it's way louder than any stadium. And as a high schooler, I hadn't even heard normal crowd noise. <laughs> so I thought that was what it was always like. And so I'm trying to watch the ball, you know, and also be watching Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson, John Allen coming off the edge. And so I definitely had that moment. And, you know, hopefully that's out of the way for the rest of my career. <laughs> a couple more fun facts for Jonah Williams. Your first year at Alabama, you played right tackle. The next two, you played left tackle. I read that to prepare to make the move from the right side to the left side, you tried to write and eat with both hands. Is that the case? It is, yeah. I figured, you know, I, I might as well. Um, and I, I got, I did it for a while, especially the eating. I was able to do that. Writing is just tough to do. Um, but then I actually talked to a couple of people, and they said it's actually advantageous to be right-handed as a left tackle because um, that's your inside hand over your post foot, you know, and so you want that to be your strong hand in most run and pass situations. Um, so I kind of kind of laid off it at that point. <laughs> All right, last thing. Your arms look normal to me. <laughs> at the NFL Scouting Combine, your arms measured 33 and 5 eighths inches. The preferred length is apparently 34 for a tackle, so your arms, I guess, are 3 eighths of an inch shorter than preferred a dime is about a half an inch wide so it's less than a dime that we're talking about is this like the most overblown thing in the world oh absolutely and you know it's frustrating that i was in a situation where i had to defend myself against that like there's no reason for that it's it's about the film it's about the resume and if i was way off you know like um Coach uh, Turner was making the joke earlier. He was like, um, if you were 5'9", you know, we'd take concern. But you're 6'4 and 5'8 with 33 and 5'8 inch arms. Like, it's not it's not a huge deal. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's frustrating having to defend myself from that. I, I gave a list of the combine of all these, you know, future Hall of Fame type O-linemen that have my length arms are shorter. Who are we talking about? Joe Thomas, Joe Staley, as those guys, Jason Peters. Hmm. Um Bakhtieri, Jake Matthews, Bulaga, all those guys, just any, anywhere range of them, just starters in the NFL to Hall of Fame type guys, like just some incredible players. But they make up for it with their technique and their ability and the way they play the game. Um, so I, I never really took that much of a concern to it. I think people have to fill four months of TV <laughs> and radio time, so they just find things to talk about. So I never took it that personally. It doesn't matter anymore, you know. Cincinnati picked me, and this is the team I'm on, and just excited less than the width of a dime remember <laughs> that really excited to have you here in cincinnati congratulations on being the 11th pick in the draft it's a remarkable achievement but uh, you definitely earned it we look forward to watching you play thank you can't wait to be here and that's going to do it for this week's podcast if you haven't done so already don't forget to subscribe on itunes stitcher google play spotify or podbean and if you have a minute please give it a rating or leave a comment your feedback is helpful And so are five-star ratings. They help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.